0: Welcome to Plano podcast, tales of curiosity and character. I'm Tammy Hooker. We're glad you found our little on air hangout with stories from inside Plano and just outside of what you might expect. Do you believe in ghosts? We're going to ask you to suspend your disbelief a bit for today's podcast as we take you to historic areas in the city of Plano that some believe are haunted. We're definitely going to meet some interesting characters, mortal and ghostly, and hear some curious tales in this episode. So get out your Ouija boards, your crystal balls, and your seance gear, because our first stop is downtown Plano, home to some of the city's oldest buildings and where Rumor has it, things go bump in the night from time to time. Our producer, Mary Jacobs, ventured downtown for a little ghost hunting late one night
1: and shares her story. It's about midnight on a crisp October evening. You're walking through downtown Plano and it's deserted. The moon is out. All that you hear are the sounds of your footsteps on the brick sidewalk and the wind through the trees in Haggard Park. You're walking along some of Plano's oldest buildings where it all began. Some were built more than 160 years ago. It's not hard to imagine that there might be ghosts afoot, spirits of the past still roaming the empty streets. You won't notice them on an ordinary evening, but tonight, while it's quiet, you might just sense their presence. We start our tour at the Interurban Railway Museum, located in the historic train station at 901 East 15th Street. The Texas Electric Railway operated there from 1908 to 1948, shuttling passengers between Dallas and Sherman. The museum, however, is dark now. Close your eyes. Imagine a spooky passenger, who we're calling the Zodiac Rider. Listen now as Russ Kissick, our guide at the museum, tells
2: the story. My name's Russ Kissick, I'm co-founder and co-director of the Plano Conservancy. Several years ago, a woman who was a paranormal researcher came into the museum. She told me that she had a sense of a presence. She pictured a a woman wearing a unique hat and the hat had zodiac symbols on it. I didn't think much about the story until years later when a woman came to the museum and said she had ridden a railway as a child. The one thing she remembered most was a woman who always rode in the front seat behind the operator. She wore a hat, a unique hat with zodiac symbols. In particular, she remembered a strange pointed hat with stars, moons, asteroids adorning it. And she would hand these little tokens with zodiac symbols on them to the kids. The woman was always on the interurban when it picked up passengers in Plano, and she always sat in the first seats behind the conductor in black clothes and black hat.
1: So who was the Zodiac Rider? Her story is lost to the sands of time. But if you'll just open your eyes and see a little movement in the darkness near the railway car just for a moment, well, maybe that's her passing through. Our ghost tour continues along 15th Street, crossing the Dart Rail Line, to a building built in 1896 that's now home to A.R. Shell & Son Insurance. In 1920, that building was home to Plano National Bank. The bank's safe was located along an outer wall, and on February 28, 1920, the City Night Watchman, a man named G.W. Rye, encountered a group of robbers breaking through the wall. Rye was shot and passed away, becoming the first law enforcement officer in Plano to die in that line of duty. Ironically, the robbers didn't get much of real value, just about $40,000 worth of government bonds and war savings stamps and a few items from individual safe deposit boxes. After that, the safe was relocated to an inside wall. Continue across 15th Street to the other end of the block where you'll find the gleaming new Shinola store selling trendy watches and other gear crafted in Detroit. Before that, the building was the Art Center of Plano, and many years before that, the location of the E.O. Harrington Furniture and Undertaking Company. (laughs) A few years ago, Art Center employee Ola Thimer told the Dallas Morning News about a ghostly encounter that caused her to reach for a box cutter in the middle of the night. I will never work again at night, she told the paper. I know this place is haunted. Right across the street, you'll find a two-story building built in the mid-19th century by a Plano cotton buyer and business owner, W.H. Chaddock. Look on the side of the building. You can still see the remnants of the pulleys that once lifted big bales of cotton into the storage loft. For many years, this building was home to the Queen of Hearts costume and magic shop. More recently, the space has been home to a series of small restaurants. Over the years, there have been stories of sounds at night, like a woman in high heels, walking across the floor, even though no one was there. Many suspect the ghost is a female, but could just as well be a man. A man named Lafayette Butler, Plano's first pharmacist, operated his drugstore out of a section of that building in the 1850s. Historians in Plano have located the spots where his family members are buried in cemeteries around Plano. But no one has ever been able to locate Lafayette's final resting place. Did he die in mysterious circumstances? Could that be his spirit that walks the building at night? Until the ghost identifies himself or herself, we may never know. Today, Zalat Pizza operates on the first floor. Walk through the door and you might be greeted by staffer William who will tell you that he thinks the building is haunted or maybe just cursed. Since the magic shop closed, a series of small restaurants have come and gone with no success in that space. We hope that Zalat Pizza has better luck. So let's continue back along 15th Street and just before you get to the dart rail, you'll hang a left. There's a row of old buildings located along the parking lot, including the Masonic Lodge, formerly the site of the Moore Hotel, a small establishment. Over the years, many stories of ghosts frequenting the building have been circulated. One man working late at night reported hearing sounds of boots and spurs on the stairs. So that concludes our ghost tour of downtown Plano. As you head home, if you need to settle your nerves, join the few hardy mortals still at the Fillmore Pub. You've still got another hour until the bar closes at 2 a.m. Great brave reporting, Mary, thanks. While
0: our producer Mary Jacobs is getting scanned for ghost residue and brushing the general willies off of herself, our ghost tour moves over to Heritage Farmstead, a favorite place in Plano for school kids and residents to visit and learn about history. At the farmstead, you'll find a home built in 1891 by a man named Hunter Farrell unexplained noises and other strange happenings have been reported in the house. We'll hear about that later, but we wondered if they might relate to a tragic story in Hunter Farrell's own history. Farrell was a successful businessman in Collin County, but he was also known as a bit of a ladies man. Around 1886, he began wooing a married woman named Ellen Henry. That romance ended in her death as well as that of her daughter. Here to read Ellen's story is Anne Marie Newman, a member of the North 40 Storytellers Guild.
3: There was nothing really improper about my relationship with Mr. Hunter Farrell. He, he, he was a friend who often protected me from the violence of my husband. Let me start at the beginning. My husband, Charles Henry, and I moved to Plano. He had found work at the mill. Not long after, I met Mr. Farrell. We became close friends, nothing more. It's true, sometimes Mr. Farrell would come by the house while Charles was at work. He would take me to church. Charles didn't like it one bit when he'd learned Charles had been around. He would tell me it's not right a married mother running around town with the likes of him. Repeatedly I found myself insisting to Charles that Hunter, uh, Mr. Farrell, and I were nothing more than friends. We were new to the area. I had few friends. I was lonely. Mr. Farrell was so kind, and I was afraid of my husband... Charles would get rough sometimes. One day, I had had enough. I informed Charles that I was moving to Dallas without him. Oh, Charles pleaded with me. He wasn't kind to me, but he didn't want me to leave either. Think of our family, he said. But the next day when Mr. Farrell came around in his carriage, I got in. I took the kids with me, and we went to a new home in Dallas. But, oh, that day was to become a terrible one. I shall never, never forget it. Just as we were leaving, the horses... Something happened to the horses. They began running away. And my oldest daughter, Lena, was thrown from the wagon and trampled to death. Charles came and got our daughter's remains and buried them. I was completely grief-stricken and racked with guilt, and in a weak moment I, I gave in to Charles' entreaties. He wanted me to go back to him, to return to our home in Plano, so I went home. I thought I'd never see Mr. Farrell again, and that just added to my despair. But one day, Hunter returned. Mr. Farrell returned. Our friendship was renewed, so I decided to move back to Dallas again to be closer to kind Mr. Farrell. My husband was furious. Charles found me some six weeks later and moved himself into our home where I was living in Dallas. Then I guess the neighbors informed Charles that Mr. Farrell had been seen visiting me at home while Charles was at work. On the afternoon of April 9th, I was sitting at the sewing machine. Hunter was on the bed. I saw my husband come through the gate. I was sitting at the sewing machine by the window, and Charles kind of smiled at me. He first went into the opposite room. Then he came to my door and pushed at it. It did not open. So he pushed it open or kicked it open. There was a wooden button on the door and whenever it blew to or slammed it locked closed. My husband came into the room and hit Hunter. Hunter hit him back then ran out of the room. Then... Charles commenced trying to get his gun out. I jumped up and grabbed him around the neck and said, "'Husband, don't shoot!' He answered, "'Damn you, I'll kill you both!' He then dragged me outside into the yard where I knocked the pistol out of his hand. That's when the pistol went off, accidentally. Then he picked up the gun and shot at me, but missed." And sent the bullet through the front of Savage's grocery store. <laughs> oh, I managed to hang on to him again until we got into the street, where he knocked me loose and shot me. Oh, how it burned where the bullet went in. You don't know how it burned. This is all true. It was my own husband, Charles Henry, who shot me. I gave my statement to the police. For agony filled days later, I was dead. Charles Henry tried again, a second time, to shoot Hunter Farrell, and again he missed. <laughs> a few years later, my husband was tried for my murder. He claimed he found me in bed with Hunter Farrell, which isn't true. The jury found him not guilty. Hunter Farrell was my only chance at love and happiness, but all I'd got in the end was a slow, painful death. So yes, I've got unfinished business. If I were to haunt the Farrell house, play a little mischief with people who dare to visit the house late at night, would you blame me?
0: Thanks, Anne now our ghost tour moves to a lonely marker in East Plano. Tucked away under a looming old tree near Kay Avenue, there's a small monument recounting the story of the Muncie Massacre, the last fatal Indian raid in Collin County. The tragic event struck fear in the hearts of settlers in the Plano area for years to come. Paranormal researchers have visited the spot, looking for evidence of restless spirits. The story takes place in 1844, and we'll hear it now as it might have been told by Leonard Searcy, the settler who discovered the slaughtered family. Reading the story is North 40 Storyteller Guild member, Dean
4: Keith. Today is Christmas Day, 1844. I wish I could say it's been a happy Christmas, but it ain't. Because us settlers around here, we've been living in constant fear. My name is Leonard Searcy. I'm a grown man, and I cleared my property with my own hands. I ain't afraid of much. But ever since that day in September earlier this year, I'm always looking over my shoulder. I'm never gonna forget that day. I wish I could, but I can't. I've been living on this earth for 62 years and i never seen anything as terrifying as what we seen that day. Me and my boy Gallatin was out with William Rice and his son, hunting up along to Rawlett Creek. We was on horses trying to shoot a few rabbits for our suppers. We've been at it a couple hours, not having a lot of luck. I decided to go into the woods and run by the Muncie's place. Maybe sit a spell and have some coffee if Miss Muncie had some to spare. The Muncie's ain't been around these parts too long by then. There was Jeremiah Muncie, Miss Muncie, and their four children, and old man, Jameson. They was building their log cabin at the time and living in a hut they'd built by nailing together a few boards. It wasn't much, but it was September. The weather was just starting to cool off, so they was just getting by with what little shelter that hut provided. I came up to the hut and first thing I see was Muncie, an old man Jameson on the ground, face down, not moving. They'd been shot. Then I saw the young'un, the little mite only maybe two, three years old, his head bashed up against the wall. You couldn't recognize that poor child's head, it was so beat up. Then I saw Miss Muncie. Lord, I wish I hadn't seen that poor woman. It looked like she tried to fight back with a bowie knife. Whoever done it cut her up terrible. They cut off, well, they cut off her breasts and well, I don't want to tell you no more not in mixed company. No man nor woman should see what I seen. There was blood everywhere. It was terrible. We knew the Muncies had two other boys, about 12 and 17, but they weren't there. We ain't seen them since. We found a couple of skulls a few months later, we think it might have been those boys, but We'll never know for sure. There was one more Muncie, he was about 15, who wasn't at home at the time. We later found out he'd gone to the Throckmorton Settlement for provisions. I took off of my horse like a bat out of hell and went and found Rice, and then we went looking for our boys. That's when we came across Rice's boy. He was dead and he'd been mutilated something awful. Everything we was seeing pointed to an Indian attack. I was beside myself looking for my boy, and a few hours later, thank the Lord, we found Gallatin unharmed. He told us that he and Rice's boy had been surprised by a large group of Indians. They'd had a white flag up and beckoned them to come over. Gallatin told Rice's boy not to let the Indians get near him, but sure enough, one of the Indians grabbed his horse by the bridle. Young Rice was shot. His bridle reins cut, and he was dragged from his horse and scalped but Gallatin had managed to spur his horse and get away. We got word to the folks up in Buckner, and the men gathered their guns and shovels and rolled down to Rawlet Creek to bury the dead. Now there's Indians in this country, but they're Caddo. Don't give us no trouble. I think these was Comanche who were passing through that did it. They're fierce Indians, and they don't like us white folks. Well, I know is... It's been three months now, and at night, I listen for sounds outside our cabin, and the pictures in my head of all that blood and those Muncie bodies, they still haunt me. I ain't never had a good night's sleep since.
0: Thanks, Dean. And with that, we've come to the end of our tale of Haunted Plano, courtesy of some great storytellers. Stay with us now for our wrap-up, where we give you a peek behind the scenes with myself, producer Mary Jacobs, and a special guest. After all, what's the coolest little on-air joint in Plano without sharing a little back corner booth discussion among friends? We're welcoming today for our wrap-up two women who know a lot about Plano's history.
5: I'm Cheryl Smith. I'm the Genealogy Librarian at the Genealogy Center, Haggard Library, Plano Public Library System.
6: I'm Hillary Kidd. I am the Curator of Collections and Exhibitions at the Heritage Farmstead Museum here in Plano. First,
0: we'd like to thank you both for your help with this episode. You did a lot of the historical research and pointed us to some of these sites. First question, ladies. Do you believe in ghosts?
6: I own a ghost tour business in Boston, Massachusetts, It's called Haunted Boston Ghost Tours, and uh, it's been around for 15 years. And I get asked the question quite a bit if I believe in ghosts. And while I've had a lot of very interesting and weird and unexplainable things happen to me, both seeing, hearing, physically feeling. I'm still on the fence if I believe in ghosts or not. I want that full body apparition in front of me, waving their hand, saying, yep, I'm a ghost. I'm real for me to be 100 percent behind it.
5: That I'm a, kind of like Hillary and I want a proof, but I have heard so many stories and people asking me is, you know, is my house a haunted? Is my apartment haunted? Can you help me find a ghost story? Um, my family's house in Waxahatchee on Main Street was supposed to be haunted. My family always told me stories about uh, the crying in the cupola, the blue mist that would come down from the cupola. So I believed it was haunted by maybe a spirit and not a ghost. It, uh, I I just believe that there are things that can happen But like Hillary, I want a full-body ghost to say, I'm here. Um, So, yes, kind of,
0: yes. (laughs) Hillary, you and some of your colleagues had an experience one night in the house that Hunter Farrell once occupied, built a few years after Ellen Henry's death.
6: Can you tell us about that? So the um, Farrell-Wilson house was built in 1891, Uh, so we're celebrating our 125th birthday this year. And of course, the house was built a couple years after the Ellen Henry uh, incident involving Hunter Farrell. And as I mentioned, we have done our own little paranormal investigations on several occasions and had... uh, some interesting results, uh, one of them, actually one of our first ones that we ever did was in 2011 and uh, we walked around and asked questions of if anyone was there, you know, getting them to make their presence known and, you know, going back and listening to it, you think we were we were trying to be uh, ghost hunters on TV, it's quite funny, but we uh, actually, it was myself, our executive director and the wife of uh, another employee and we were standing in the music room. Now, the music room on the first floor of the house um, was actually Amy Wilson's bedroom as she as she got older, I was unable to go up and down the stairs anymore. So she converted that room into her bedroom. And we were standing in the the doorway asking questions and uh the exhibition that was up at the time was a technology comparison so we had the old banjo next to an electric guitar the um the piano and a modern keyboard so the you know the juxtaposition of old and new and as uh, malou and i are standing in the doorway i asked the question you know if there's anyone here will you make your presence known strum the guitar pluck the banjo press a key on the on the piano and it goes for a few seconds and we don't hear anything and then next Malou asks you know it encourages for them to uh, make their presence known that we know they're there we can feel them you know on and on and then about 10 seconds after she finishes speaking and we are standing perfectly still we hear the banjo strings being plucked this kind of a dong noise and we all just stare at each other of you know kind of the expression of did you just hear that and uh quickly a little scurrying around a feet of, of we're all excited and like, you know, trying to get confirmation if they made that noise. And later we tried to recreate it, walking around, stepping on floorboards, anything we could do to recreate that. And there we were unable to do that. So it seemed, it seemed as if it was a confirmation. I specifically asked for them to, you know, to, to touch the banjo. And that's what happened.
0: Uh, people tend to think of Plano as new. You know, most of the homes and businesses here are relatively new. But There's a lot of history here. Why is it important for Plano residents to be aware of that history?
5: Well, um, i would looked back. We've considered Plano to be here since 1840, at least. It wasn't named Plano at that time, but People were living in this area since at least 1840. It could be even earlier than that. So that's about 175, 176 years ago. And that means that we have seen everything that's happened in the last 175 years, almost 200 years. Texas was not a state yet. We were still part of Fannin County at that time. We weren't even Collin County yet. McKinney wasn't uh, the seat for Collin County. There was just this big area that we were coming to live in. So there is a lot that has happened. We have stores and events, doctors, people that lived here before we were Plano. So I think that people need to understand about that history to know why did we name this school Carpenter and Haggard and Schimmelfinnick? Why are these schools named after them? Why do the buildings in downtown on 15th Street, why do we want to hold their historical look to them? Uh, you know, keep the name Cheryl, uh, Bagwell Cheryl on one of the buildings and Shell on another. It's because they are part of our history, and it's important to keep that. And and I think that they, you know, um, people should find out what happened Um, It is amazing when I go to give a talk about the history of Plano, um, when I ask people how many have lived here in Plano, there's just a very small amount. Most of everybody came since 1970 when we built, or actually 50s or 60s is when it started uh, booming and growing because of the highway 75 connecting Dallas to McKinney and that's what helped Plano grow. You know, so there, there's a lot of people that are new to this area, and yes, they all think we're all west of tech, uh, west of 75. Uh, instead, there is a life on the east, and that's where our history is at, the most of it.
6: I mean, I agree with Cheryl with the Plano area, Collin County, North Texas. We have a very long and rich uh, history. You know, the Peter's Colony Initiative, of first bringing settlers to this area. Uh, at the Heritage Farmstead Museum, we have the Young House, which belonged to uh, John Young, and then passed down to his daughter Gladys Young, who lived in the house until her death in 1998. It was moved to the farmstead in 2000. And that family, the Young family, came to Collin County, pre Collin County, in 1842. So there is a very long history. Uh, her, their home is now where the Ridgeview Golf Course is and the apartment complex there, but the Young Cemetery is still there. There is a veteran of um, the War of 1812 buried there. So, you know, we're not just the 1970s on with the, the boom in industry and um, corporations settling in Plano. It is very, very old. And we have so many people who have moved into Plano from other areas that it is important so they can be more in and involved and part of the community to learn the history. We often get people coming to the farmstead that'll tell us, I've lived here 30 years and I never knew you were here. So it is important to get out, not just to our school kids and, and uh, tourists who are visiting, you know, family and whatnot that we do. Plano is very important in the local history and what it has to offer uh, from Peter's Colony all the way up to today.
1: This is Cole Bothin from the Plano Podcast. If you want to find out more information, go to planopodcast.com and click on episode resources.
0: We've reached the end of another edition of Plano Podcast, tales of curiosity and character. We hope you've enjoyed today's topics and discussion. Remember to follow us on Twitter at PlanoPodcast Plano Podcast and send us your feedback, ideas, and comments. Thanks for listening and subscribing. We'll be waiting for you at our back corner booth. Until next time.